Hi, welcome to Answers News on Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. My name is Brian Osborne. I'm here with Dr. Jennifer Rivera and Patricia Engler. And welcome to Answers News. We've got a live studio audience. You guys make yourselves known to those watching online. Wow. You guys were really loud. That's incredible. Well done. Well, we are so glad you're here. So glad you guys are watching online as well. And this is a show that approaches headlines from a biblical worldview perspective. And a couple announcements before we dive into the different headlines of today. First, we got the Dinosaur Dig happening July 25th through the 29th in Glendive, Montana. And I would love to go to this. My son would love to go. And I think mm -hmm. you know all about it, right, Jennifer? I do, yes. Okay. So we're super excited. Dr. George Aperdeman and myself will be hosting this event uh, in Glendive uh, with FACT, which is a creation uh, ministry who has an active dinosaur dig site. So we'll be going awesome. out there every single day uh, to do some digging. And I hear that you can actually take home some of the specimens wow. that you find, which is super exciting. And then Dr. Perdman and myself will be doing some speaking as well uh, with the guests that come. It is very limited attendance, so I highly recommend uh, you check out more details on our website and register soon. So what's the discount for your co-employees of the ministry to go? No discount, Brian. Oh, Sorry. Yes. <laughs> All right. No, it will be really exciting to go. You guys should check that out. Mm -hmm. And it might fill up really quickly, so you mm -hmm. might want to check that out sooner rather than later. Yeah. All right. Awesome. And then also, this is just your show. This is your spotlight time. Our next announcement before we dive into the articles, high school labs at the ARC encounter. This will be really yeah, exciting. So we've had lots of requests uh, for us to have our high school lab program that we have currently had at the Creation Museum. We're on our fourth year this year uh, here down at the ARC. And so we are currently finishing up our new lab. So I I just checked on it before Enters News today. I was excited to see the progress. It's coming along. Uh, so by next summer, we'll be having uh, a lab intensives right here uh, at the ARC Encounter. They'll be one week long. We're having biology and chemistry. Biology is already a third full. That's uh, awesome. So very excited about this. Once again, limited spots available. So definitely go online if you'd like more details and register soon. And some people travel a really long ways to yes, come to these, correct? We have some students who are traveling eight hours to oh. come to our lab. Wow. So uh, it's a very much needed oh, sure. uh, program, especially for our homeschool families. And trying to get that lab experience yeah. in high school is oh, very difficult I when you're homeschooled. I can vouch for that. Yeah, yes. but I'm so thankful for just like the lab opportunities I had as a homeschool kid. It mm -hmm. really helped in college when I got there. So to get it from a biblical perspective is awesome. Yes, yeah, so we're very excited uh, about this new program coming next summer. Yeah, so definitely mm -hmm. sign up for those quickly if you want to. Again, people do like these. They're very popular on multiple mm -hmm. levels. And so sign up quick if you want to take part in those here at the ARC Encounter, mm -hmm. which is so exciting to have that room up and going. All right, well, all that being said, we'll jump into our first article. Now, if you watch the show consistently, then you know that the first article is kind of our fluff and stuff article. Typically, it's light and fluffy and fun. This could be our worst fluff article ever because we have to debunk like the fluff article. So what is it? Well, uh, somebody who works here within the ministry, another speaker, found this. It's a toy goat, right? And uh, if you want to buy a toy goat for your kid for Christmas, here's one you can buy, I guess. All right, mm -hmm. I don't know, but here it is. And there's a description under the product details for the toy goat. And the uh, details say this about the describing the goat. Waddles... No, that's the little thing. It tells you what a waddle is. Are those little tufts of hair that covers the skin that dangle from the throat of some goats? Waddles serve no function are thought to be remnants of gill slits that mammals shared somewhere back in the evolutionary tree. So even just buying a toy goat, you're getting evolutionary ideology. And often, you know, they look at these waddles and they say, well, you know, they've tried to figure out, well, what is the function of this waddle? And to this date, we just don't know, right? Sure. But so that means say, evolution, right? Right. I mean, just because we don't understand something in our finite understanding, right, of science and biology, doesn't mean it doesn't have a possible function, right? And 
that may be up to the Lord to reveal to us one day, or maybe we won't know what its function is, or it could just be something decorative or a special feature that God gave them. Oh, for sure. And yeah. if you say that this is some leftover of evolution, to argue that that's evidence for evolution, that is circular reasoning, begging the question, you're kind of assuming what you're arguing for. That doesn't work as, as evidence. So yeah, it just highlights the need for critical thinking everywhere, including in goat shopping. Yeah. <laughs> and vestigial structures are often used to argue for evolution. But again, the whole argument is these structures, they are loo they've lost their function. They are just leftover remnants. So these things have no longer have a purpose. So that's a proof for evolution. You're losing function that proves you're gaining something over time. It's going in the wrong direction mm -hmm. in totality. And so just kind of keep that in mind about this particular argument. Lots of great articles on our website, answersingenesis.org, that really debunk vestigial structures as a whole. And you'll notice they mention the fact they say these remnants are, or this waddle is actually a remnant of gill slits. So this is based on a, something called ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. That is the development of the embryo in the womb goes through again evolutionary development. And going to evolution, it goes from single-celled organisms to fish, amphibians, reptiles, and mammals. So you started off as a fish a really long time ago in evolutionary ideology. And there are imprints or imprints of those gill slits supposedly in the embryo de embryonic development, which, which is not the case at all. It has nothing to do with gills or breathing. They're just <laughs> kind of artificially called that to make us look like related to fish. No, uh, yep. And so watch out for all of that. I got some great books on that. A book called Glass House debunks that really well. You can check those out online if you would like. But that's our fluff piece. Was well, not very fluffy. No. Besides, well, the goat well, was kind of fluffy. Yeah, and the waddle's kind of <laughs> fluffy. All right, maybe that's it. All right. Uh, but it only gets worse from there. Uh, moving on to this, <laughs> this article. Children's book race cars want your kid to be good critical race theorists at a Minnesota school is apparently sending it home with seven-year-olds. And so this is a book that teaches the ideology of critical race theory. And if you're not familiar with that, it's basically a Marxist ideology that's very prominent in our culture today. It's making a lot of inroads in a lot of schools, not just higher uh, educational schools, but also elementary schools, high schools, middle schools. It's basically a Marxist ideology that says our whole society is made up of oppressors and the oppressed, and the oppressed need to rise up, and we should give them power and empowerment and redistribute wealth to them to give them power within our culture. In a summary, that's what it is. And it's often claimed that CRT is not being taught to our elementary school kids or our high school kids. But even if the name is not there, the ideas are very prominent. And this book is an example of that. And that is the narrative. And it was interesting you mentioned that because they are going to continually tell you the education system that they are not teaching critical race theory in the elementary, middle school, and high schools. And it's only taught in college. And that is just not the case. I was actually That's just right. sent a course for an online class in high school. They wanted me to review it to see if there was any type of undertones there. And the entire class was just full of critical race theory and ideology. And it's, so for them to say it's not being taught, it, it's, that's blatantly not true. Yeah, Again, you gotta get yeah. really familiar with the terms within mm -hmm. critical race theory. Uh, what do those terms actually mean and how the idea is being taught in different ways? Yeah. For sure. So yeah, defining the terms is super important for critical thinking, and especially because this is just another example of culture trying to disciple the kids in line with a certain agenda. Another kind of fallacy the author of this article actually pointed out, it's a faulty analogy. So of course, analogies are just comparison between two things. So in this case, using race cars as an analogy for differences between humans. And he points out a couple of like major, major differences there. So if you see a, a major difference between the things being compared, that's a really good clue. It's a faulty analogy. Analogies are really good for explaining things, but it's also important to keep in mind that they cannot actually prove anything because um, sometimes they can sound persuasive. 
And it's, yeah, also just worth pointing out that um, it is important to teach kids about actual, like, justice issues, but it needs to be from the right foundation. From so a biblical, biblical foundation, one. and that removes division rather than artificially creating division, which is what this book is doing. And yeah. they're using the race cars here, and they mm. clearly state in the book that there's a black race car and there's a white race well car. Well, it says right here. Yeah, yeah, race cars tells the story of two mm -hmm. best friends, a white car and a black car that have different experiences and face different rules while entering the same race. So within critical race theory, you have the oppressors versus the, versus the oppressed, and the oppressors have set up the rules of society to always benefit them. Therefore, the oppressors always win, right? And so the whole book is, well, this one particular group, the white cars always win because they made society built so they win the race every time. This is CRT to the core. And it actually says this in the... Um, and just a summary of the book, it says race cars offers a simple yet, yet powerful way to introduce these complicated themes to our children. It wants to introduce these ideas to kids. It is being taught. A worldview is being taught, and it's not a biblical worldview, not even close. And the irony of it is the very last line of the, the book that they provide here in the article says, the last line says, they love to race and did not care about place. Um, isn't that the point of I'm like, isn't that kind of the point of the entire book and their their entire agenda here is that yeah. you know is that they're trying to say this, the you know the culture is not equal and we're trying to promote this ideology so that we can create equality. Obviously, the place and the race does matter. You know, and the Bible tells us that we are to run the race because only one can receive the prize. You know, a race and a winner is biblical. You know, it is based on God's word. So. That's right. Mm -hmm. And we got these pictures from the book, so you can check that out online if you want. Just be aware of that and be aware of so many other books, other resources out there that are being used to teach these non-biblical ideas that are meant to divide and cause conflict. That's what Marxism seeks to do. Cause a vision, bring uh, just a collapse of a society so those can, who want to rebuild it can rebuild it in their own image so they can build back better, if you will, kind of the idea behind it. And so just be aware that that ideology is all over the place and is not rooted in biblical truth. Not at all. All right, moving on. So VP Kamala Harris <laughs> asked NASA if they can track trees by race for environmental justice. Um, and so this caught a lot of attention, a lot of traction. People were having a lot of fun poking fun at Kamala Harris for this statement. That's not exactly what she said, but it can be kind of translated that way, if you will. Then the hashtag kind of broke out that black trees matter. Uh, but basically she was at a particular summit talking to some scientists about uh, space and advances in space and advances in understanding and mapping the reality around us and, and, and tracing trees around the globe. And, and she wanted to know if we could trace trees by their demographic and the areas they represent. Can, are there more trees in certain areas, less trees in other areas? And if there are less trees in urban areas with minorities present, does that prove there's some sort of injustice taking place? And therefore, we need more trees in these areas with minority peoples to have tree equity, if you will. If that sounds confusing, it's because it is, okay? But that's kind of the idea. It's all rooted, again, in that social justice ideology, which is rooted in really critical race ideology, or critical theory ideology as well. Rooted. That was a good pun. You like that? Yeah, I'm trying to branch <laughs> out. But anyway, okay. Um, that's another bad thing. And I but think anyway. the term she used here, race, we're, we were talking about that. We're not really sure if, if she meant to say that word, like, you know, because she was talking about so. trees. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of what brought yeah. her whole statement to light, I think, and the way people took this, so... Oh, yeah, it's interesting she used yeah. that phrase. So we don't want to misrepresent mm -hmm. things, of course, because that would be using a straw man argument, That's which right. is like not mm -hmm. something we want to do. Um, and I mean, a number of studies actually have looked into this topic of if there are fewer trees in lower mm -hmm. income neighborhoods. And I mean, it is true that if you have more green space in a lower income neighborhood that can actually offset the negative effects on well-being. So that's great. We're all for planting trees in, 
in lower income neighborhoods, but the studies like what I was looking at here, it's a very complex interaction. So some cities, it does work out that way that uh, lower income areas have fewer trees, but other studies or uh, other areas, it seems to be the opposite. And there's a very complex interaction with the uh, ethnicity in there. So it's not, it's not all clear cut. You can't just exploit this for, for Marxism. And um, yeah, so great to, great to bolster people's well-beings, but it should not be a matter of creating division. And a couple quick things. First, I'll read her quote directly so we don't take her out of context. This is what she said. She said, can you measure trees, part of that data that you were referring to, talking to the scientists, uh, that you can also track by race their averages in terms of the number of trees in neighborhoods where people live. So that's what she actually said pretty much word for word from mm -hmm. what she said. So you can kind of parse that in a couple of different ways, but it really is kind of getting to the idea of environmental justice. And I found out thinking out what's a good summary from the author of the article. The author says this, for the confused, the CRT argument here is that urban centers have less trees and are warmer than less urban areas, which the left translates into privilege. White people have the privilege of more trees, cooler temperatures, and cleaner air, cleaner air voila, environmental justice. And bear in mind, according to critical race theory, any desperate outcome in different groups that is that affects the um, the oppressed group in a bad way, that is considered racism by definition. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. It's part of racism. It's part of oppression. That is CRT. So again, we're seeing a lot of that CRT narrative kind of woven through a bunch of these articles, but it's very prominent in our culture today. Mm -hmm. All right. Moving on from trees to how we evolved from fish or something along those lines. So genetic analysis uncovers shared evolution, evolutionary history of fish fins and vertebrate limbs. And so basically all verbs share the same basic body plan, head, spine, appendages, and so forth. But how did this come about? What genes control the development of different appendages, hands, fingers, and so forth? Is there an evolutionary connection? Now the article wants to say yes. We're going to say something very different than that. And that's always the argument for homology. They, they will continue to say that the similar design that we see throughout living things is evidence that we've all descended from a common ancestor. Right. Uh, but we would say no, right? It is evidence that we have all been created, right, by the same a God, right, creator. who used a for design sure. that worked, right? right. Yeah. And it yeah. works very well. And so we would expect to see that in lots of living things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So another way to break down like any kind of article like this is you just look for, first of all, what are the facts? What are the things that we're actually observing here? The observational science. In this case, there are some genetic similarities uh, between um, like fish fin development and uh, limb development, but not just in the fish fins that they believe would become limbs. So it's not actually straightforward. Um, and then what's the interpretation of that? Their interpretation is evolution, but what's an alternative biblical explanation? It would just be common design. It's a good design, this That's gene. Right. It's, you can use it for many different things. So you end up with kind of a mosaic of similar genes in different organisms, and that fits what we see in other areas too. Things like, um, what is it, hemoglobin genes that, uh, that don't actually follow a, a straightforward pattern like that. So mm -hmm. you have different things in sure. different organisms, and that fits with a, a design model better than evolution. So and you don't hear much about those. You, they point often the ones that seem to confirm their ideas, mm -hmm. but don't really talk about those that don't line up with their evolutionary ideology. Uh, Neil Shubman is one of the primary authors behind this article, and he wrote the book a while back called Your Inner Fish, a journey into the 3.5 billion history, billion year history of the human body. Again, according to evolution, you have, you know, first there's non-life, basically rocks, and those come alive in some basically supernatural way. Then you get single-celled organisms, fish, amphibians, reptiles, and mammals. So we evolved from fish somewhere along the line. And so Neil Shubman has, uh, he has a bias in this to be sure. Mm -hmm. He believes this wholeheartedly. 
But he said, we're showing a deeply conserved, deeply ancient and preserved gene function that's been around for hundreds of millions of years in vastly different structures. So the molecular toolkit is ancient and it does the same thing in different kinds of animals. Of course, we'd say the time frame's way off, but the molecular toolkit, well, that's made by a designer. The fact that it functions and functions well shows it was made by a designer, not random chance processes over long periods of time. And the fact that there's a similar toolkit and different things to live in a similar environment just confirms biblical creation in a really Makes powerful sense. way. Mm-hmm. Makes sense in the biblical worldview. Um, but yeah, so lots of stuff in there. Be careful that these ideas are everywhere. <laughs> But if you want to talk about God, you can can talk about evolution in the schools, but not about God, according to Nebraska. Leads to the next article. So a Christian group sues Nebraska University for for denying funding a philosopher's lecture about God. And so basically a Christian school group in that area was trying to get a guest speaker to come, come and talk about the evidences that confirm the reality of God. And they could not get the funding they needed to bring in the speaker. And the reason that's, a, that's important is because, of course, Nebraska brings in speakers all the time who would not be considered Christian in any way, shape, or form, promoting ideas that are utterly anti-biblical. They get funding for them, for different groups to come speak about them. But this group could not get this one funding for this particular uh, speaker. And what's interesting, too, they, they say guest speaker, but he had been on staff there, right? He for had about been 30, 30 years, years. So it wasn't right. like they were bringing someone no. from the outside that who the university didn't, didn't know. know. Yeah. yeah, this yeah. was someone who had worked for them for 30 years, and the student wanted to bring him back. Maybe he made somebody um, so mad before maybe. he left. All right, that could <laughs> be part of so. the equation, right? Yeah. And like when you look at um, what they said in terms of like why they didn't want to give the funding, it's because, oh, well, to, to get the funding, you'd have to have someone else from the opposite viewpoint giving giving their perspective as well. But is that what they do in every single lecture? Like that's coming from a secular perspective in the rest of the school? No, like that shows a very serious double standard here. And oh, yeah. the, the bias against Christians and against conservatives has been very well documented um, in public education. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah, it highlights the need for discipleship for students going into this system and also for supporting students who are in the midst of that. So. Here's a quote here. It says that the school pays for speakers every year that teach about or promote political and ideological viewpoints on topics like sexual orientation, gender identity, reproductive justice, which would be abortion, social justice, police reform, political activism. They get speakers all the time for those things, and they don't get a counter speaker to present a different viewpoint. They just gave that one argument so they could try to push aside the narrative or the truth they don't like to hear. And so you see that real oppression. You see how intolerant they are, right? How bigoted they are, right? In a real sense, hateful towards a a non-secular viewpoint. But, you know, hand clap, right, to the students who were brave enough to go against this agenda and to fight to have this particular speaker come there without having the opposing side. As you said, it's presented all the time. And we were talking about another scenario, right, that we remember not that long ago where we also had to go and fight uh, to make sure that Ken Ham could go in and speak. I feel maybe two years ago now, possibly, mm-hmm. Ken mm-hmm. Ham went to go speak at Oklahoma, uh, the actual university there, invited by a student group to go speak, and uh, they had secured the funding and the venue who's going to go speak, and some people at Oklahoma were not happy about mm-hmm. it because of his stand on biblical authority in regards to not only origins, but about sexual orientation and gender and stuff like that. And so they made a stink about it, so the school canceled his invitation well, then people found out about the cancellation of him giving just a biblical viewpoint on these issues. And so other people were upset about that, called the president of Oklahoma, and then they re-invited Ken to come speak after there was a big brouhaha in the media. And then Ken spoke to even a bigger audience in a bigger <laughs> venue because it's all kind of worked out really well in Absolutely. that particular scenario. But it just shows how certain people just, they really don't want to hear any other view other than their own. And ironically, they will 
title themselves as tolerant and inclusive and open to all views, but truly they are not. They're open only to one view, which is their own. And I guess that's a core truth we talk about often as a ministry. Either God's word is your authority or man's word is, and there is no neutral Right, you build your thinking from one or the other. Yeah, for sure. And students are going to be discipled by one or the other, so that's why they're really focusing on discipling mm-hmm. students from a secular perspective. I do have that book, uh, Survival Guide for Christian Students, called Prepare to Thrive, and that just became available for pre-order today. Hey, look at that! Wonderful news. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's exciting. Should be shipped in uh, January, but you can order your copy from the first printing now. So. Awesome. And if you're curious, Patricia has a, a really unique insight into all these things from her history and her background. Uh, traveling the world to multiple different universities and interacting with secular professors and students on these issues. It's a really powerful testimony. It's been a great, I think, training tool by God in your life that you're now sharing with others, correct? Oh, I'm, yeah, super excited just for the, the journey that God's brought me through. And, and it's uh, unique to be able to have these perspectives, not just from my own experience at university, but from talking to Christian students all over the world and mm. seeing how their insights really align really well with just some practical things that make a difference for young people everywhere. It should so. be a great resource. We're excited mm-hmm. about that. Check that out. Wonderful stuff. All right, moving on to even a less exciting article. So abortion access advocates repeatedly declined to say at House hearing where the procedure takes a human life. So basically, Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson was sparring with a couple of different abortion advocates, and they were arguing over the, the new abortion or anti-abortion Texas law, pro, or pro-life, I would call it, Uh, Texas law that's been very good on a lot of different levels, but they're kind of arguing over that. And he's asking these abortion advocates for some just clear answers to some really simple, very important questions, and they refuse to answer the questions. And so we'll show you just a short version of the clip, but give you a little taste of kind of what's going on here. If it is not okay to take the life of a small child outside the womb, why is it okay to take the life of a small child nine nine inches up the birth canal inside the womb? What is the distinction? Help me understand the, the distinction of that. I don't understand the question. If it, you, you would not support the murder of a small child, right? No one would, no civilized person would. Why do we support the taking of a life of a child right before they're delivered? No civilized person should support forced pregnancy. Does abortion take the life of something that's alive? No one should be forced to remain pregnant against their will. Ma'am, you're not answering my questions. Let me, let me ask the doctor uh, on this screen. Um, is it okay, uh, or let me ask you this, does abortion kill something that's alive, take the life of something that's alive? Sir, the way that you're asking these questions actually intentionally invite violence and harassment to both of us, to all of us. I'm sorry, that is an absurd response. You're a medical doctor. Tell me if the, the tell me if the, the if there's an unborn child in the womb or not, if, are we killing something that's alive? When you, when you dismember something in the womb, is that a human being or not? It's a living being, yes or no? I'm here to talk about medical care. Yes, this is a direct question about medical care, ma'am. You... Okay, we'll stop it there, but you get the idea, right? And you see how they literally will not answer mm-hmm. the question. And I would put forth because actually reason, science, observations goes against their view. And the fact that one, she's a medical doctor. One of the ladies was a medical doctor and refuses to answer the question whether it's a life. For sure. So that I mean, all those prenatal <laughs> appointments. I mean, I've had four children. They're checking the heartbeat every time you go to right. make sure that child's alive in your room to make sure it's healthy. You're trying to tell oh, yeah. me it's not alive. Why are we checking heartbeats? And why do we do ultrasounds to make sure the baby is, you know, perfectly healthy? It's obvious that it's just part of their agenda and their rhetoric 
you know, right. to Sweetie. promote there. And it's interesting mm -hmm. that you say rhetoric because this is a rhetoric trick that they're using. It's mm -hmm. another fallacy um, called the Mott and Bailey fallacy. So that's basically where if someone is trying to make this controversial issue or claim like we should promote abortion, then someone else challenges them on it by saying like, hey, wait a minute, that's actually the violent taking of a human life. Then the original person goes back and instead of admitting what they're actually advocating for, they swap it out with a position that sounds better. So in this case, she said later on, um, what my organization is for is to support the people who need abortion care. So, oh, we're, we're supporting people who need care. That sounds good. But the original argument hasn't changed. They've just conflated it with a better sounding one. So what you want to do is keep them grounded in the truth of what's actually happening here, which he was trying to do. He was yeah. doing a good job of that. Because like we were saying, reality is on the side of truth. And truth mm. is on the side of God. And God is on the side of life. So if we're on the side of life with God, we have all of reality behind us, and there's no way to argue against that as this goes to show. Mm -hmm. And you can see their only response was to be irrational, more or less, just mm -hmm. ignore the question and really spit out just a talking point. It seems like they had a list of talking points, say this, if they say this, and that's what they did. Because, again, reality doesn't line up with their particular viewpoint, but God's word is true no matter what. Absolutely. And, stuff, and the right? article really does provide a very graphic description of what actually happens during abortion. And it we does. encourage you to go read it and, and research that if you're not familiar with that, uh, because it, it's it's clearly, right, a just horrific way to die for a human. Right? Well, and Absolutely. as you read that description, you see it in the article and other places, when you read what actually happens during an abortion, how horrendous it really is, what's happening during that process, <laughs> it just brings an awareness to how evil it truly is, all right? Help us to help us to understand why we should be fighting against it so vigorously, rooted in God's truth and in God's love, but fighting against it standing on God's word, all right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Good stuff, guys. All right. Next one. So shocking human tale. Wow, look at that. Surgically removed from newborn. So this is evidently what someone, one of my friends called a tail ball. That's not the scientific name, but it's a tail with a ball at the end. They just call it a tail. It's kind of interesting. Uh, and so basically, this happens every now and again. It seems to be a mutation in the, in the process of development in some way, shape, or form. Roughly 40 cases have been, have been uh, documented about humans born with tails. And uh, so typically it's just a, some cartilage or some flesh, sometimes connected to some nerve endings, nervous system connection in there somewhere. But it's not a literal tail. So you don't have the bones and the muscles in a particular apparatus to make the tail move in a particular way. So this human tail cannot be wagged out of happiness, right? <laughs> or tucked in sadness or fear. If you're in the water, it doesn't help you swim anything, right? At all. It's not that sort of function at all. So, but they do have this sort of... Um, thing coming out that looks like a tail superficially and so they had to remove it and it's kind of interesting article based on that and they kind of refer to it as like a lesion or you know just a, a you know piece of cartilage appendage it's a mutation that occurs and in this particular situation they did do neurological testing mm -hmm. to make sure it wouldn't damage the nervous system if they removed it and everything was fine so they were able to take it off of this particular infant but what's interesting is too if you um, actually look at the picture of it it's it's like off center the tail like it's it's just like kind of like just protruding out of the body it's not like it's centered in an exact location where you would think a tail would be right. it's clearly not if i had to a tail there. it better be right. in the middle right, right. <laughs> i want it to be yeah proportioned yeah. correctly yeah. um they say this in the article around the fourth week of gestation most of us start to grow a tail while in the womb but it usually disappears by the eighth week eventually morphing into the tailbone otherwise known as the coccyx now, you don't ever actually have a real tail. It's just a process of, of development going into the coccyx. And by the way, sometimes the coccyx has been called in the past 
a vestigial structure in humans. But I can assure you the coccyx has multiple important functions that you can't have or do or live without. And so it has a very, it has a very distinct purpose. And so it's not vestigial. It's not, it has a very distinct purpose. It functions really well. It does what it's meant to do. And uh, you're not going from a tail to a coccyx. It never was an actual tail. But in evolutionary thinking, well, we've evolved over time. And some of our ancestors had a tail back in the day. And so we've lost that tail as time has progressed through evolution to what we have today, because according to them, the tail really had no good function or purpose. And my pushback is this. Can you imagine how helpful a tail would be in day-to-day -day life, right? You got, yeah. as guys, you know, when you come home with the groceries with your wife and you carry every single bag, because you got to carry all the bags at one time going into the house, it must be every single one, and you get to the door, you can't open the door. If you had a tail, boots <laughs> around, opens the door for you, or playing sports. I like playing basketball growing up. Right, you're playing yeah, defense, yeah. and then I'm trying to get the ball, mm -hmm. and my tail comes around, sneaks in. I mean, yeah. Then I have nightmares tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and it yeah, is related too. to spina bifida. So there's another, you know, another genetic mutation we would say going on here that's directly related to humans that have this growth uh, that's yeah. appeared at birth. So. Oh, for sure. And it doesn't look yeah. like the type of tail that you would expect would be an evolutionary connection at all. It like, kind of looks like a little deflated animal balloon with a little mm -hmm. tennis ball on the end. And right. um, Tail ball. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. And I found a, a quote by, in one of our articles here. So far as I know, no one claims that so-called human tails prove we evolved from an animal with a fatty tumor at the end of its spine. So uh, that's a good quote. Yes, yeah, so this exactly is right. not like you have to really be coming from an evolutionary perspective to try to read evolution into viewing this even as a tale in the first place. So mm -hmm. I'd be really committed to that worldview. Absolutely. Yes. And speaking of being committed to that worldview to explain what doesn't seem to fit with your worldview, let's go to the next and last article for today, which will be this one. Earth may have grown around a rock from an alien star system. So there you go. So the idea is that we have interstellar objects like asteroids or comets coming through our solar system at different times. And so maybe back in the day, one of these things came through our solar system back when it was forming, got caught in all the gas and dust at that particular time. And then the gas and dust begin to clump around that particular interstellar object and planets begin to form because planet formation and evolutionary ideology is fraught with many bad problems. And I love this uh, particular paragraph. And it was funny because Patricia and I both highlighted this paragraph. <laughs> Let, let's just look at the terms they use in this one paragraph. Modeled, estimate, might, suggest, maybe. Every single what they claim to be observational science fact is addressed as, well, maybe this could That's have right. happened, right? Possibly, right? We're suggesting. And they actually say, but it is very uncertain, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. The only statement from observational science here is in pretty much the Second sentence, in 2017, researchers observed an object from another solar system passing through our own for the first time. That's the only <laughs> observational science right. here. The rest, you can tell it's uh, interpretation from historical science by these red flag words like could and might and maybe and probably and possibly may. I circled so many throughout the whole thing. Oh, it's yeah, kind of a fun everywhere. critical thinking exercise, but yeah, just... Watch out for those things. Mm -hmm. And so what you get is that one line of observational science and then a whole lot of storytelling to fit their worldview, right? That's what you got to be aware of. Uh, as you say, separate the facts from the fiction, the facts from their stories, what we're really trying to do here. Uh, but guys, we're out of time for the day. We got through all the articles, which is really good. Mm -hmm. Guys, again, I encourage you to interpret things through a biblical lens from a biblical worldview. We will see you next time. You guys have a good day. God bless.